Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Got a good weekend ahead. A lot of good games to preview. A lot of rookie matchups, prospect matchups. It's kind of a dead week, though. I mean, not a ton of fun games. It's a cupcake discuss. week it's in the SEC. Week. It's the one that everyone, like, at the end of the year just hates. Yeah. Uh, they're like, oh. I was trying to pump it up, actually, so I appreciate you okay. dragging us down. But um, we have a little bit. Of something better than the cupcakes. We got offensive position rankings, yeah. PFF's latest NFL draft board. We looked at the top five at each offensive position. We're going to run through all of those, talk about all these top prospects here. We're also going to go into our What's on Tap segment, a, a mainstay for the Thursday podcast where we talk about the top prospect matchups in college football. Not a ton to look mm-hmm. at, but there are some games that I think you should at least turn on in between beers, in between drinking games. And then we're also going to do our draft specials. In the Listen to uh, <laughs> exactly. get an announcer, like you hear a big play, then flip over and see what happens. Bingo. Uh, and then we have our draft special segment where we're going to be discussing some of the top rookie matchups. A lot of good stuff. Let's start with these offensive position rankings, though. The first one, we got you know we got to go quarterback here. Very interesting right now you know, in that top five space, largely because of the two attack of Iloa injury. Walk me through number one, though. Above average Joe Burrow, who is an absolute rocket up draft boards. And now with the tag of Iloa injury, it's almost like a lock for the first quarterback off the board. Yeah, I feel like he is at this point. You don't complete over 70% of your passes every single game of the season, which he is what he's done up to this point, facing two of the top five pass defenses in college football, you know, three probably top 25 pass defenses in college football. You don't do that unless you got something, unless there's something there. It's not just the scheme. You know, the scheme's good. It's a good scheme, but it's not just the scheme. It's not just the wideouts. There's something special going on. With Joe Burrow here, I, I do think he is undoubtedly the number one player off the board come mm-hmm. April. Whoever is picking at number one, he will be the selection. And something I want to ask you, and it's something that I've seen on Twitter and, and some other people kind of reference, even uh, I think Tom McShane, his latest uh, big board, has Chase Young above Joe Burrow. What's your opinion on that? I, I, I can see you're upset. I can see you're upset. What's your opinion on people putting Chase Young, who you've called the best non-quarterback in this yeah. class? What's your opinion? Of well, so if you're assembling a big board, a draft board, mm-hmm. it should be you're taking X guy. You're taking the top guy mm-hmm. off the board. That should always be the case. It should be the first guy. The top guy available should be the pick if that's how you're assembling your draft board. And so you're saying you're taking Chase Young over Joe Burrow. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can't assemble a draft board in a vacuum. You're supposed to, uh, obviously, if you have, uh, you know, if you have Deshaun Watson, you're not going to draft quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're if, also not going to be drafting number one overall if you have yes. Deshaun Watson. Yes, uh, but like, so I do think you have to take positional value into it. If there is a generational long snapper, you're not going to have him as the number one player on your draft board. You and have I think there to. is one in this class. I haven't <laughs> looked at it fully, but I do think there's one. There, there's one every five years. <laughs> but no, you have to basically, like, you have to assemble it with value in mind, with the positional value. Value. And so quarterbacks are always going to be pushed up higher. If if you believe a guy's a franchise guy, he, will, he should be the number one guy on your board because like there's 14 or 15 quarterbacks in the NFL that are more valuable than even Aaron Donald every single year per our you know war number. So it's absurd to me to if you're assembling a board taking value into account, uh, which you have to do on a draft board. You can't just put you know five running backs in the top ten because you think there's five good running backs like that is not how you should assemble a draft board it should be value should be taken into account and so obviously quarterbacks should be at the top of that list but i do think if again if you're not taking value into account chase young's the best player yeah in this draft purpose like you know versus his position as a prospect he is the best prospect but hear me out on this why are you creating a draft board with that does not reflect positional value at any point i think i think some draft analysts are just catching Mm -hmm. up to this idea that positional value has 
to be taken into account. Even the best running back in the class yeah. isn't a you know a top ten pick. You yes. know, it rarely is, unless he's just like this dynamic receiver that comes out or whatever. And I think if you're creating a draft board, whether you're a GM scout or, or draft analyst. You're leaving positional value out of it and saying, no, he's just the best player. It just doesn't make sense because you're going to leave good quarterbacks on the board. You're going to leave average quarterbacks on the board that have more value yeah. or potentially have more value. And, than and, I, and I also think that's why, like, because that's, I feel like it's been done like that for so long is why you see quarterbacks slip down and people pass on quarterbacks because they're like, oh, you know, this, this edge rusher that we, you know, we think is a better prospect at his position than this quarterback is, even though, you know, if you just hit on an average quarterback, you're getting so much more value. Your team is so much better. Than if that guy turns into an elite edge. I mean, rusher. look at Gardner Minshew. I mean, you hit on yeah, a quarterback. Exactly. Even, you should Gardner, be far more teams should be far more willing to take chances at quarterback than they are at this point. And then when you look at this quarterback class, I guess it gets us back to these offensive position rankings. At number two, you have Tua Tagovailoa with an asterisk next to his name for obvious reasons. I mean, he has the the injury, the hip injury that, with a clean bill of health, he's the number two overall quarterback in this class and in a top ten pick. Yes. But, with, with, with the question mark there, the asterisk there, it does make things difficult. I kind of want to move past to attack of Iloa and yeah. discuss th- this bottom three here. Justin Herbert at number three, the Oregon quarterback, Jake Fromm of Georgia, Jacob Eason of Washington. All three of these quarterbacks, Herbert, obviously the best of the three, have a ton of value. And they, they do mm-hmm. belong high in our draft boards, even though they aren't the top players at their position. Yeah, and they've been going kind of opposite directions. So Herbert's been going up the second half of the year. Down the stretch here, uh, 91.3 passing rate over his last five games. He's looked very good. I mean, been very efficient with the football avoiding those kind of boneheaded games that we've just seen from him in the past big 12 championship game that's uh, everyone circle it on your calendars utah oregon Pac-12. that jesus christ yeah Pac-12 <laughs> championship game uh circle it on your calendars that is the game you got to watch over if he shows up and does it against utah we could talk about him as top five pick now. We can, we can push him up into that conversation because he's never done that against a real defense. Utah is going to have, we talked about it, the most invites to the Senior Bowl. They have a defense loaded with talent. Uh, the best player is not even a senior, Jalen Johnson, probably the cornerback. So there's a lot of talent on that Oregon or Utah defense. If Oregon goes there and Herbert puts up an efficient game, beats Utah, then we could talk about it. But just you know, beating up on some of the dregs of the Pac-12, still good. Uh, but he has been trending up, has been better of late, avoiding those bad games. From and Easton, though, we've talked about it on the, they've, we've poured one out for both of these guys at times over the past five or six weeks. They've had some rough, rough performances. Go back to that Easton game against Utah. What he did against them, that dropped him hard down our board. He went four of 18 for 24 yards under pressure in that game. Or of 18 for 24 yards, one point, whatever, do the math, that, one point something mm-hmm. per attempt. That's rough for him. So uh, 41.0 passing rate under pressure for the season for Eason. And while we talk about clean pocket passing, more indicative, more stable year on year, being that bad under pressure, especially in college, uh, seeing ghosts like that only gets worse in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And even with that, what you said about Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason, they're both top 50 players yes. on your big board. You still should be willing to take a shot at them. Value, yes. Because of that positional value, you do not pass on a Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason because there's a, you know, there's a better tight end on the board or something yeah. like that. You need to yeah, you don't attack. You don't pass on Lamar Jackson for Hayden Hurst. Exactly. Basically. Bingo. But, yeah. I mean, Raven's very fortunate. <laughs> then that's, that he's, he's, he's Lamar Jackson's a great reason why you should be taking chances on mm-hmm. talented players like that because transforms your franchise. You look like a different team when you have a competent guy there under center. You don't look like a different team when you have uh, you know, Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. You don't look like a different team when you have you know, a top 10 tight end in the NFL. That and doesn't it, it move the needle. To, it goes back to what uh, Steve said, a, a little bit of it. It's just draft good players. And there's going to be good players. You don't need to force a need at yeah. a certain position. Draft good players. And if the best player available is a quarterback, 
man, the worst thing that could happen is you have two good quarterbacks. Say you don't have a need, but like then you have a ton of value at backup quarterback. And with the league, you've seen so many injuries happen, all of those things. And we've seen guys, so Josh Rosen, all-time bad rookie year, still gets a second-round pick the next year. You couldn't get a second-round pick for Cleo Farrell right now. No. You couldn't get a third-round pick probably for Cleo Farrell right now, the way he's played. You have Deshaun Kaiser has a terrible rookie year. Second-round pick. You get a starting safety for him the next year. Yeah. And Demarius Randall, you flip him for that. Those no are other great examples. I was really going to say, no examples. other position does that ever happen. What do you think Gordon Mitchell goes for right now? Exactly. What, like, what was he, a six-round pick? Yeah. I, I guarantee you, you can get, get a second-rounder. Second I Easy. guarantee it. Guarantee and that's, it. They get so much more trade value back. So when you're in that conversation of, oh, like, oh, let this guy develop. Let Drew Locke develop. Let this other, uh, you know, young quarterback, let Dwayne Haskins develop. Yes, you can develop from the you can develop from the bench as well. Like you can develop in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is you have two good quarterbacks. And as soon as the like, quarterback shows he's good at all, he immediately gets his trade value. You immediately recuse whatever draft position you use on him mm-hmm. in terms of trade value. Those are, that was a really good example with Josh Rosen because he honestly couldn't have had a worse exactly. rookie season under center yeah. and still got a second round pick. That is that is a great example. I appreciate you bringing that up. Let's go to running back here. Yeah. A very uh, not as valuable position as quarterback, but it's next on this list. Let's start with the Clemson running back, who actually, surprisingly, looking at some other draft boards right now, there aren't a ton of people who have him as the number one overall really? back. Some people seeing DeAndre Swift better. Some people seeing J.K. Dobbins better. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Todd McShay, and I was really, really surprised by this. Travis Etienne of Clemson, why do you like him? Why well, is so he the number we, one back? Like We love receiving ability as a running back position, and he really hasn't showed that. Mm-hmm. That's how special I think he is as a pure runner, and just as in terms of a pure get-the-ball-in-his-hand sort of weapon, uh, on 153 attempts this year, he has 70 broken tackles. That's the highest rate. We have 0.46 broken tackles per attempt. Highest mark we've ever seen by a ton. No one's ever even hit 0.4 before in our charting. Uh, he has 5.74 yards after contact per attempt on those 153 carries. He is the most dynamic running back, but the most dynamic running back, you know, since Saquon Barkley, uh, I think he is a better pure uh, sort of running in terms of like his vision than Saquon Barkley was. This dude is, I mean, he is everything you want in terms of uh, with the ball in his hands. He is as dynamic a threat as there exists in college football right now. So at that point, uh, I think there's still a ton of value. Like I, 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 this is where I ranked him around the thirties in this class. And I think that's where I had about Saquon Barkley coming out. Because that's just, again not going to be super high on running backs. So I don't think they're going to recoup your value. So I, I think that's uh, he is incredibly like he's just a weapon that you can find ways to get the ball to and be you know add to your offense. You have some convincing to do with Todd McShay at the Senior Bowl because right now Todd McShay he releases top thirty two players right now for the twenty twenty NFL Draft on November twentieth. Number one, DeAndre Swift. Two, J.K. Dobbins. Number three. Jonathan Taylor. Travis Etienne, not even in the top J.K. Dobbins over Travis Etienne is the craziest thing I've ever seen. There you go. At Etienne, so he he came in, true freshman, Clemson. I've, like one of the first runs I saw from him, like, who the hell is that? Like, why isn't this guy playing more? Uh, and he looked skinny, though, back then. He's up to 215, two, in the 210, 215 range right now. Doesn't look skinny anymore. And he's gotten better. Like, he's legitimately gotten better every single year. If you haven't watched him yet this year, he's better than he was last year. Like, he's legitimately... Uh, you know, one of the best college running backs I've ever seen when he gets the ball in his hands. Let's so. go to DeAndre Swift here. DeAndre Swift, the number one player on Tom McShay's board, number two here. Really Wait, do- so wait, that was that wasn't just running back rankings. That was actually his board. Top is- 32, DeAndre Smith. Is that the number one player? No, oh, okay. number one running back. I apologize. Ooh, I was like, <laughs> You almost the- threw up all over the place yeah. here. DeAndre Swift uh, of Georgia. He comes at number two on your running back, or PFF's running, ba- running back rankings here. Five Christ. foot nine. 
215 pounds. This guy, great receiving back. Yes. He, he's got, he offers so much value as a pass catcher. And when you see that and where the NFL is going, he's going to be high on the boards. So just to put, I guess, ETN's broken tackle number in context, like I said, he had seven broken tackles on 153 attempts. Swift, elusive back in his own right, has 34 broken tackles on 165 attempts. So more attempts under half as many broken tackles on the season. So that's how like outlier Travis Etienne's numbers have been this year. But again, that's why Swift's still the number two player on the board because he's elusive, powerful, 5'9", 215, basically ideal size. Uh, it's ideal build for running back, built low to the earth, and can still catch, has some of the best receiving skills of any back in this class. 66 catches in his career, only three drops, and he runs like legitimate routes down the football field. He's good. Number three, Zach Moss of Utah. I believe he got invited to the Senior Bowl. And then number four, you have Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. But I got to skip to five because I think five's kind of hot. Yeah, Dimit- Dimitrik Felton of UCLA, a primarily a receiving back. From a usage standpoint, I'd say it's very similar to Tony Pollard in terms of mm-hmm. using in the slot and a little bit in the run- at the running back yes. position. What are you seeing in this game? Why should more people know about this guy? Well, because he has the best receiving skills, I think, of any of those backs in college football right now. He can kick to the slot very easily and get open from the slot position. So that sort of versatility, I think, is incredibly valuable in today's NFL. He is elusive after the catch, 14 broken tackles on 41 catches so far this season, 484 receiving yards. That leads all running backs. But again, he's kind of like hybrid, so he's not necessarily it's not necessarily a super fair comparison. But I do think uh, just that blend of receiving ability, elusiveness, is a little undersized, a little on the smaller side. But I think that's something that wins in today's NFL. is more valuable than your A.J. Dillons of the world. Mm-hmm. Let's go to wide receiver. I think the, the best question to kind of preface this, number one and two on your board for wide receiver, Jerry Judy at one, C.D. Lamb at two. Why is Jerry Judy better than C.D. Lamb? Oh, why, does, why, why is he ahead of C.D. Lamb right now? I think it's a good question. People want to know because people love C.D. Lamb, and I got to know from you. Why. I, just, I think it's the physical traits. I think Judy's got more speed. Judy's just going to be a little that tick more athletically to me. They're very similar, though, in pretty much every other regard. I do love that Lamb produces more from the outside than Judy does. Uh, at this point, Gurren has produced more from the outside. Uh, but it's close. I mean, they they didn't start the season close that close in my mind. Now they're very they're pretty much neck and neck. I think they're fourth and uh, sixth on the last big board. So I mean, it's pretty damn mm-hmm. uh, close for two wide receivers. Let's go to number three, Colorado wide receiver Lavisca Chenault. Which to tease a little bit, we will be interviewing in the near future on the mm-hmm. podcast, which would be fun. Um, got a nice connection to Colorado, Lavisca Chenault. Though number three, I think the things we say about him is we'd like to see him in one-on-one situations. We'd like to see him throw. I mean, I looked at his stats recently. He does not get a ton of targets. 10-plus yards down the field. I'm not even talking about deep targets. Just, mm-hmm, just at the intermediate and deep levels of the field, rarely targeted in that offense. He's built like a running back. I saw someone on Twitter comping him to Debo Samuel a bit in that he's kind of got very yeah. good after the catch, can force missed tackles. I really do like that ability from him. Give me give me your take on LaVisca. Yeah, so to me, he's he's Cordero Patter- He's not a Cordero Patterson spectrum of wide receivers to where your floor... I like that spectrum. Okay. I really <laughs> don't. I honestly don't. I know, but that's his floor. His floor is a guy who... Will be a great returner. Will just if you get you scheme ways to get the ball in his hands, he will be dynamic and make plays for you in that regard. So that's play for floor. a NFL team, <laughs> but but like last in the NFL. That's your floor. His ceiling, uh, I, I think, is more on the Debo stamp. Like he just has better ball skills. He attacks the ball better than Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson, you know, attacking the football down the field was his was his biggest weakness. He just could not, uh, you know, track. He just, the way he attacked it was not uh, good enough to succeed in the NFL. I don't see that from LaVisca. Only two drops this year 
on 47 catchable. He has good ball skills. He's he had he went like eight of nine in contested situations last year. He's very good and very physical at the catch point. He's so a, I do he's think he's a cinder block too. That's the thing. Six it, foot two, 220 pounds. The yeah. dude is an absolute so, you know meatball and a good one and an athletic meatball. I guess that's hard to kind of visualize, but that's where I'm mm-hmm. at with him. I, I think he does a really good job of wearing contact for a wide receiver. I mean, you see a lot of receivers not able to sustain big hits and force missed mm-hmm. tackles at the catch point. He's forced yeah. missed tackles at the catch point. Yes. I think that's really impressive. Um, for number four, you have Henry Ruggs, the Alabama speedster. And at five, you have T. Higgins of Clemson. But I want to know, someone not in your top five, Justin Jefferson, who sits at number 17 overall on Todd McShay's board. I, I feel like that is absurd to me. That is, And I love Justin Jefferson. Yeah. I was one of the guys who brought him yeah. to you and said, dude, I really do think this guy has talent. Mm-hmm. But Justin Jefferson, and we talked about it on the Tuesday podcast, so much of the production is inflated of him running I was gonna say, so, yeah. routes. So people are saying, oh, Joe Burrow, product of his wide receivers, product of this offense. I think if anyone's a product of that offense, it's... Just Jefferson. Yeah. So he's the product of the offense, product of Joe Burrow's accuracy because he's not as he's Burrow's hitting these tight windows over the middle of the football field that are getting the ball to Jefferson right in stride to get yards after the catch to where it's not necessarily Jefferson making that happen. It's Burrow and his accuracy and, you know, finding those windows over the middle of the football field that are really putting those. And now that's not to take any shade off Jefferson. He's a great prospect. He makes our top hundred. It's just in this loaded wide receiver class. Are you going to take your chances on a guy like that and Justin Jefferson, who's we've you know talked about how a lot of his production just is scheme based and not necessarily beating a guy. Or are you going to take your chance on someone like T. Higgins, who's playing outside every single snap, who's you know top, who's third highest yards per route uh, run in this draft, who's seven of eleven contested situations? Like he's been uh, excellent in a lot of things you need to do in the NFL to beat coverage. Mm-hmm. Which one are you going to take? I mean, I'll take the guy that's being coverage at the moment. Yeah, and if you want to take a guy that's you know almost explaining exclusively outside, I mean, Esau Winston Jr. at Washington <laughs> State is another name to mention. <laughs> uh, bring that up later. We'll bring that up. We're going to talk about Darnay Holmes, so sweet. we'll bring that one up. Sounds good. Um, Let's go to tight end position. I think this is a position on the podcast we haven't honestly brought up a ton. Hunter Bryant of Washington sits at number one. Your guy that you really did like at the start of the season, falling a little bit to number two, Jared Pinckney of Vanderbilt. And then three, which I think is a surprise to many, and I think there's a good chance that he doesn't end at three as the, as the draft process moves forward. But Shine O'Grady of Arkansas first. Walk me through Hunter Bryant. Might have to go to the XFL one. first. Um, so... Uh, I don't think it's one. I'll preface it by saying I don't think it's a good tight end class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's anything special. Uh, not like last year where you had some dudes at the top. Uh, no real complete tight ends in this class. But there are some skill sets that are worth. Hunter Bryant, I, I think, as a receiver, similar to uh, Irv Smith coming out last year, in that he's not a, he's not your do-it-all tight end. He's 6'2", 240. Far more on the wide receiver spectrum than a tight end. Inline blocking is just not going to happen with a guy like that. But... I do think he creates mismatches uh, and and he runs and moves like a wide receiver. So if you're going to be a, a little undersized, you better move like a wide receiver. And he does 641, seven yards on the year, 41 catches and eight broken tackles. So I, I do think and that's he actually produced higher on a yards per route basis the last two years than he has this season. So he's been very productive over his career. Like I said, has the best combination of ball skills and athleticism of any tight end in this class. Talk to me now. Give me the full report on Pinkney. Oh no! Give me the. Full. Do I have to? You, you, I, I really do want to hear. <laughs> I really love his route running ability. For a bigger dude, he has some shake to him. Has adjusts as well as anyone in this class to off target passes. I think it's a huge part of playing tight end because it's not going to be 
you have so many times at the tight end position where you're just uh, where the quarterback's putting it away from a linebacker's leverage, and you have to move, make a play. I think that's what Pinkney does best. I think that's his sort of trump card over all the other guys in this draft class is that ability. We saw it in 2018. Have not seen it this year, but if you see it, if you've seen it, mm-hmm. you're gonna back. You can get him, you can get it out of him again. Is yep. what I'm is what I'm banking on. Oh. Now he's a fifth year senior. He is older side. Uh, so maybe he's call him capped out, whatever you want to call him. But and the the production this year is concerning. But I'm still going to bank on that 2018 season that we saw. Jared Pinkney, the number two overall tight end on your big board, and then you also have Bryson Hopkins of Purdue at four. Both of those guys will be at the Reese's Senior Bowl this year. I think that's an opportunity for them yes, to prove some things even more. Pinkney for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy needs to show he does. that he he can win against good competition at the Senior Bowl. But before we skip over to Bryson Hopkins of Purdue, we got to go to Cheyenne O'Grady of Arkansas. This guy very special Bring after the catch. Dad's divorces again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, let's not bring up my dad's divorces again. But he broke 13 tackles yeah. on 63 catches over the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. Special after the catch. Looks like a special talent. The problem is off the field, multiple suspensions, team suspensions at Arkansas, and now he's left the team, deleted his Twitter account. There's yeah. a lot of things going on here that maybe Cheyenne O'Grady does not end up in the NFL. Maybe not even not in this draft. Yeah, I might have to ever. I just might have to rethink this one because mm-hmm. there's like so much smoke that and apparently going back to even high school, there were issues with the him and his coaches. Really? There. So and where there's not smoke great. Mike, there's fire. There had been fire. There's <laughs> There's something's ablaze here with O'Grady. And yeah, I, I, he might have to drop down a little bit more because uh, there's just something very off. It's very bad to leave a, leave a football team mm-hmm. your senior year. Bryson Hopkins of Purdue. I know you have some concerns about his ball skills. 19 drops on 133 career catchable passes. That's 14.3%. That's not good. Anything over 10%, you start to kind of, that's a, that's a flag. That's a red flag. Um, and uh, But outside of the drops, there is some some things to like about this guy. Yeah, I mean, not good. There's like only two tight ends, I think, in the NFL right now with a higher drop rate this season. Like oh, that's wow. awful, and that's his career rate. It's not just like a outlier season. of a season. That's his career has been that bad. So, pretty concerning there for sure for Bryson Hopkins. But he, he's the most athletic tight end in this class, probably in terms of size, speed, agility. He has he's similar to. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs you know low four fives. Like he is that athletic. But what are you going to do if you like he's on the Noah Fant spectrum of what are you going to do if you the guy's going to drop one or two balls like every time you can target him 10 times like that's just concerning. That's just not it's going to kind of going to kill your offense. I don't know. I, I struggled to I struggle how to value guys like that because I do think drops like that and lack of ball skills can really kill quarterbacks and like hurt their statistics and sort of kill an offense quicker than guys who maybe not necessarily can't get get open as well, but can catch the ball. Number five on the big board at the tight end position, Albert O. That's what they call him on campus, but I'm going to go ahead and pronounce this name here. Oku Weibunam. Oh, I I looked up the pronunciation right before here, but Oku Weibunam, Albert O.K. Oku Weibunam, number five tight end on the board. He's a guy that... I'll let you take that one. Let's call him Alberto. Yeah, Yeah. Alberto. But initially, I remember when we were reviewing the film before this season, I kind of liked what this guy brought to the table more than Pinckney in some areas. I thought his Mm. route running was interesting. I thought he he offered value for that Mizzou offense. Where are you with him right now? I think he's pretty straight line. I don't don't love him as a... uh, His agility. I don't think he's that... uh, you know, shake to make a guy miss sort of tight end. Uh, but I do love he's big. You know, he's one of the bigger tight ends in the class. I think he goes 255, 260, uh, has good straight line speed and good ball skills. Uh, so he's been great in the red zone, 23 touchdowns uh, over the last three seasons. Uh, so I do think he offers some value, but I, I just he doesn't have 
I, I think everyone above this list has a little bit of a trump card that beats Albernos at this mm-hmm. point. Yep, there you go. I'm sorry, I was reading through the comments and some people are upset they don't have my glasses today. They, oh. I, I broke them over the weekend and some guy called me a four-eyed bastard. That's where we're at right now for the YouTube comments, but let's go ahead and move Never forward read to the comments. Let's go ahead and move forward to the uh, tackle okay. position, top five tackles here. First two we've been talking about for a while. Andrew Thomas of Georgia and then number two, Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. What's separating yeah. these two in your opinion? Oh, God, it's so tough. I go back and mm-hmm. forth and I have it. But that speaks to the, yeah. to the strength of the class. Yes. I, I like when you say, man, it's tough because that means, you know, go back to the mm-hmm. receiver position, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, both high-end talents. Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, both high-end talents. Not necessarily you can't go wrong, but these guys are playing at a very high level, and both of them are in that conversation for top ten. I, I think what separated them in my mind here is just competition faced. Mm-hmm. So Thomas has faced, you know, Julian Akwar, Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame, faced Jonathan Greenard uh, from Florida, and Zuniga on a couple snaps in that game. So he's faced better competition than Wirfs. Wirfs has faced Carter Coughlin. He's faced. That's about it. I mean, they really hasn't faced a ton of good edge rushers yeah. so far this season at Iowa. So, uh, what was it? Zach Bond as well. I, I guess he did face in that against Wisconsin. So, not a ton of, you know, talented edge rushers that he's seen. So, that's the difference in my mind because both playing excellent football mm-hmm. still. Well, Tristan Worst, though, I know you've thought in the past that there's a chance that maybe he gets Case inside yeah, of guard. Where possible. are you at with him right now? Do you still see him as a tackle first? Yeah, I think he's tackle first and then mm-hmm. kick inside of guard if necessary. All right, number three on the board, Alex Leatherwood of Alabama at four, Josh Jones of Houston, who will also be at the Senior Bowl, and then Jedrick Wills Jr. of Alabama. Skip those two guys. I got to go to Wills. Yes. Such an explosive dude. So good in the run game. You put in here 10 big-time blocks this season. Leads all at his position. And those big-time blocks, those are those high, highly graded blocks those are pancakes those are yeah. death blows those basically are- yeah taking a guy three or four yards off the line of scrimmage you're you know doing a crazy reach or getting to a linebacker at the second level that you had no business getting to pancakes that sort of thing mm-hmm. yes the only guy with more than him in the country right now is penny sewell who's okay. only a sophomore yeah. so uh, that's a that's a dude right and there that's good yeah that's he's a, that's a dude he's gonna be special next year he's he's the chase young of offensive tackles that, that prospect quote him right now interior offensive line let's jump to this position here this guy's been number one on your interior offensive line not for a while and it's not changing regardless of injury because the guy's not a little, little injury plague but natani muti of fresno state a nasty hawaiian-born monster b- built like a monster but he's so good in the run game yeah. and also what i like about him i feel like i always bring it up because he's nasty that's what pops out on tape but he's also very good in pass protection yes. and sometimes you see some of these nasty i want to bring up drew samia the oklahoma guard who's mm-hmm. kind of a nasty a finisher struggles a bit in pass protection can sometimes get a little over aggressive and lose his footing and, and get beat there natani muti a different story he can turn it on and turn it off that's the crazy thing about Muti that I love so much is that he has these blocks where he lights guys up, but he never has the blocks where he like goes for a kill shot and then falls flat in his face. Like he is on balance. He just can well-timed you know, kill shots, sink his hips and explode uh, better than, you know, any other offensive line in the country. He's a freak of nature. This guy, John Wick, in a sense. If you watch the John Wick shows, like he takes some crazy shots and he always hits them like square yes, between the eyes. Exactly. That's Natani Muti. He, he really is very, just the best interior offensive lineman in, in the country. Unfortunately, only you know, uh, only a handful of games this year before his season was cut short. Again, I believe with the shoulder injury or something this year, had the Achilles injury last year. But on 103, 193 pass blocking snaps over the past two years, three pressures allowed. Dude, he's good as a run, excellent as a run blocker, just as good as a pass protector. 
All right, Tyler Biotish of Wisconsin. He's a guy that I think a lot of people are going to have number one on their interior offensive line rankings. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a big reason why, because no one watches the group of five, and no one's even seen it's on yeah. Muti. But Tyler Biotish is a guy who, I think going into this year, had very high grades in PFF mm-hmm. system, and he's still earning high grades now for Wisconsin. I think, I look at him, and I see the grading profile, and I'm like, okay, this guy's a, a safe still good. pick. You're, yeah. He's like a high floor pick. Exactly. I, I don't think he's super, he doesn't get you near as excited as you when you watch Muti. But smooth. Gets pops off the snap, quick off the snap, has size to play. You could probably even play guard if you wanted to play guard. And then he's been a top five grade center freshman year, sophomore year, and now junior in college football. And did he even, he was a walk on or something. I, I remember writing the background, or he, there was something along the lines of like, he wasn't even supposed to play center, but now he's playing. I'll have to dive into the background, but I think he has an interesting one. Yeah. Um, let's go to Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma. He's another name I think that gets tossed around a ton at the top of um, interior offensive line rankings right now. Where do you see his game? Yeah, I just love that he's been so good in pass protection, even when he hit the ground running as, as a redshirt freshman last year. Only five pressures this year as a redshirt sophomore allowed all season long. And another guy who, 6'5", 315, he's not pigeonholed into center. If you wanted this guy to play guard, he'd probably play guard. If you want to play tackle, I think he might even be able to play tackle as well. Like He's just that good. Didn't end up playing tackle at Oklahoma because they had uh, you, know, you know some some dudes there at tackle when he, Bobby Evans, and uh, the other guy whose name's alluding right now, the Bills right tackle at the moment. I don't know how I know that, but can't remember his name. Ford? Cody Ford. There you yeah, go. They yeah. had those two guys to tackle, so he was kicked inside the center. But he can play pretty much anywhere, which I love. Here we go. I'm going back to Tyler Biotish. Um, recruited as a three-star defensive lineman as part of the 2016 class, five offers. Illinois State, South Dakota State, Southern Illinois, Western Illinois, and Wisconsin. Decision a no-brainer. That's what I put in the notes here. Goes to Wisconsin. They want to go to Western Illinois. <laughs> Goes to Wisconsin, and then oh, after taking a red shirt in 2016 – Goes away from defensive line, starts all 14 games at center, and like you said, as a freshman, high graded center, yeah. sophomore. Like to get that production, to get that level, those grades, when you didn't even play the position, mm-hmm. you no, know, you weren't even recruited as an offensive lineman. I think it's special. I think that speaks a lot, speaks volumes to him as a prospect. That Biotish kid. Let's go to number four, number five on your list here. Calvin Throckmorton of Oregon goes at number four, but let's go right to Kentucky. Uh, Logan Sternberg, um, number Stenberg. No, Stenberg. Sorry, Logan Stenberg at number five. He's a guy that I know you kind of it's similar to Muti. You kind of can get excited Nasty watching this. Oh, O line, O line coach porn. Just mm-hmm. he was described as the SEC's most disliked player. Oh. Man, I gotta meet so, this guy. Yeah, one. Pre- That's close. Kentucky's just a uh, hop skip away here in Cincinnati. One lone pressure all season long on 261 pass blocking snaps. So uh, there's a lot to like, and he is. You watch his tape, and he is jumping on dudes on piles. Oh, he's, yes. he's mean. So get, get, you're getting me going right now. I got mm-hmm. something that a reference I want to bring up. I remember Gabe Jackson, Mississippi State, now with the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Von Miller in an interview after the game. I don't know if it was a couple years ago, whatever. Said he is the nastiest smelling player mm. in the NFL. But think about that as an advantage. Like if you just smell like complete ass when you're playing, it's like that'd be tough to bull rush a Gabe Jackson when he smells like death. Yeah. You know, I think that's no. Uh, it's no fun. I mean, I'm being interested around a guy to smell like Stenberg ass. if we do get the opportunity because it could be part of it. It could really be part. Of it. Um, <laughs> You're like 10 feet away. You're like, oh, that's Stenberg. Wow, he smells terrible. Let's go to our next segment here. That was great, by the way. Offensive position rankings, good stuff. Uh, Mike Renner, make sure to check out the full article on pff.com and make sure to continue to follow PFF for all of our draft coverage. We're going to have defensive rankings at the, every position. I think if they're listening to this, they follow our draft coverage. True. But just saying. Hey, but yeah, you know, you know what? It doesn't hurt to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe they just listen to the podcast but hate the website. You yeah. Know. I mean, I hate the website, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. 
Uh, let's go to what's on tap PFF segment here on the two for one draft podcast, where we look at top prospect matchups. We're going to go KJ Hamler slot receiver for Penn state going against Sean Wade, who's not talked about enough on that Ohio state team. A lot of people love Jeffrey Okuda, even ourselves, but Sean Wade, another special talent. I think going against KJ Hamler, this will be interesting. Yeah. Sean Wade's in our top hundred. We're probably not as high in him as some other people. It's kind of difficult to evaluate because I think he's a guy who, his future would is going to be at outside corner. He plays exclusively slot for uh, Ohio State, slot box, whatever. He's not playing outside corner, but I think that would be where his best position is. So I'm kind of just like hesitant on putting a guy uh, that highly. Now he's good in the slot. I don't, but again, I don't think that's his best position. So I, I was just outside corner is just a different animal. You know, being able to stick with guys one on one is a different animal from playing that underneath zone. We're staying with the guy in the slot. So uh, I like the traits. Uh, I like what I've seen from him so far this year. But, yeah, it's just he might he might be coming back to raise his draft stock with, uh, you know, Arnett and Akuda probably gone. Do you like Hamler? Give me your take on Hamler. Yeah, Hamler made our top 100, too. Great speed from the slot. I think once the ball is in his hands, he is very dynamic. Uh, he has had serious drop issues this year. What is it something like already has 10 drops on the season? That's a problem going to need to see that fixed uh only a redshirt sophomore so no and at 5'9 173 I'm, I'm not sure he does declare you don't see a lot of undersized guys actually 11 drops this year on 57 catchable it's wow, rough that's it's, a, it's a wild number bryson hopkins level yeah so we'll see about him if he does declare but that's a good matchup for both of them because wade's a little more physical i'm not sure has the straight line speed to keep up with hammer so if we get some you know slot birds that'll be okay. Maybe Hamler takes advantage of him. Let's go to the next matchup here. Robert Windsor versus Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis, an underclassman. Yes, a guy we haven't actually talked a lot about. So he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, and I wasn't really on the radar because not a lot of redshirt sophomore interior offensive linemen ever declare. Like, that's yeah. just it's rare to see that happen. But I think he could. Uh, he legitimately, to me, is impressed me more than Michael Jordan last year, more than uh, Elfline a few years back, more than even Billy Price kind of is coming out of Ohio State. So he's the best interior offensive lineman I've seen in Ohio State in some time as a redshirt sophomore here. So he could declare uh, he just has better feet than those guys. I think he's just more agile, uh, loses better, better balance than any of those guys coming out. And Robert Windsor, power player, we've talked about him, one of the better interior bull rushers in the country. So that'll be a nice matchup there. Uh, Davis, the right guard, uh, number 52 to watch there. There you go. All right, let's go to another game on the What's on, ta- What's on Tap segment. UCLA, UCLA at USC. Darnay Holmes. Yes. Darnay Holmes is a guy that we were high on going into this year. I still think he, he's been struggling. He has not played well this year, or to the well, start at least. He started off struggling. He has been better. Last four weeks, only 41 yards, four of 16 targets. Wow. He's kind of turned the season around. That ankle injury that started off... Maybe it lingered. Maybe it was lingering. You know, that Aesop wins the game. You could probably throw that, burn that, burn that tape. Dude, that's a bad tape. Burn that's that tape. bad tape for Darnay Holmes. <laughs> that was bad tape. But the last four weeks, like I said, he's looked like a different player. And the, the skills are still, the talent's still there. You see a, you just see some guys move and you're like, okay, that, guy, that guy's going to be an NFL player. But is he going fi- to really figure it out and get himself into that, you know, first round conversation, which is what we thought he could have been heading into this season. Here's his opportunity. Yes. Here's his opportunity. opportunity. Going against USC, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Pittman, Vons. There's going to be plenty of opportunity. He gets the gamut of Amon Ross, St. Brown, great route runner, quick shifty, Pittman, 
much bigger, much more physical. Our neighbors Pittman seems like one, yeah. he's got to prove himself. Yeah. I think this is a great game to watch. You said there may be some cupcakes here, but UCLA at USC, and especially with Darnay Holmes turning the corner, I haven't even mm-hmm. been, you know, been diving in. Ever since that Aesop Winston Jr. game, I wrote him off as returning to school, really. Just mm-hmm. kind of, you're, you're going yeah. or transfer. Yeah. There's some, there some rumors that he might transfer, uh, but I think I might have to go back and watch the tape on Darnay a little bit more. Um, he did well against Colorado. I, I like that tape against LaVisca. A, a lot of tape I have been watching, though, is this UC, USC receiving core. Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, both of those guys are very outstanding. Tyler Vaughn's too sometimes gets forgotten, but he also has shown shown some flashes. I think this is a great one to watch. And um, UCLA at USC, that's a rivalry. I mean, that's something. That, you know, you know, let's turn it on yeah. here. Like Chip Kelly and all that. I think that that's, there's something to get excited for there. Let's go TCU at Oklahoma. We got CeeDee Lamb versus Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney, I believe, got accepted or accepted an invite to the Reese's Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. He'll be there. He's the guy that graded really well last year. Not off to the same start this year, but still showing off a lot of good things. Uh, and CeeDee Lamb, number two wide receiver on your board right this now. One, so this one has two great wide receiver cornerback matchups, but this one, hopefully CeeDee plays. Missed last week against Baylor. They haven't said why. You know, he's injured. They haven't said what the injury is. Uh, but hopefully he's back this week. They said his status still up in the air. But this is a matchup where I, I don't think CD's faced a prospect uh, like Gladney so far this year. Gladney got 4-3 speed, legit uh, ball skills down the football field, can hang with Lamb on a straight go. I don't think Lamb's really seen a lot of guys this year that have that athletic profile that he's going to see from Gladney. So that matchup will be huge. Will he still be able to win down the football field? I, you know, probably. See the Lamb. But <laughs> I, I do, I do want to see them go head-to-head and hopefully he's fully healthy in that one. In that same game, you also have Parnell Motley. Yes. The cornerback for Oklahoma, who is draft eligible this year, has earned just a 69.8 coverage grade so far, but he'll be going against good competition to Jalen Rieger, who has stepped it, stepped it up of, re, of late. I think he's playing a lot better. I still think he returns to school, but yeah. he's playing a lot better right now down the stretch. Yeah, so uh, Motley, a senior, uh, had jumped on the scene back in 2017. He had an 81.2 coverage grade in that one, 11 pass breakups. Hasn't been quite the same since, but he's very good at the line of scrimmage, which that's why I think this is a great matchup to watch for Rager because Motley, one of the best press coverage corners like at the line of scrimmage in terms of getting his jam in there, affecting the route, and he's played press coverage on 211 of 289 coverage snaps this year. Every snap. That's basically like he is playing press coverage uh, on you, and he is apparently going to be tracking Rager in this game. So you're going to see him every single play. So this will be great from an evaluation standpoint. You get to see a guy who's very good in press coverage against a speedy wide receiver who plays pretty much outside. Needs to prove himself at the line of scrimmage. So Rager, this is your chance. Put out, put on a show here against, uh, against the cornerback who I think Motley will be drafted. Probably more of a day three type prospect at this point. I just don't think he has speed, which that could that could come back to haunt him against yep. a guy like Rager who's going to run the four threes. Very good. Let's uh, that's going to tie a nice bow on the um, excuse me. What's on what's tap that? segment? The prospect preview segment. We're going to move forward now to the rookie segment draft specials. Looking at rookies to watch specifically matchups to watch. Let's start. And this is an interesting one. Jamel Dean of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going against up. the Atlanta Falcons. Jamel Dean earned very high coverage grades in back-to-back games. In the two, in the first two games of you know his NFL career, where he's played significant snaps, the game after he doesn't play a single. Oh wait, no, he no. He, two weeks ago against mm-hmm. the Seahawks, yep. terrible coverage grade. Oh yeah, he true, got true, toast, true. toasted by DK Metcalf, and then he has the game of his life mm-hmm. the next week against Gosh, I'm forgetting the Panthers was it. And yeah. he just absolutely, you know, pick multiple pass breakups. And then this past week uh, against, against the Saints, against the Saints, he uh, 
<laughs> Zero defensive snaps. Didn't even play. They said they wanted to play more zone. Yes. Which would be great if you had corners that were good in zone that you were going to play over him and didn't get torched, you know, for 34 points. Mm-hmm. That was a head-scratcher. I don't know how much zone they're trying to play against the Falcons, but there's a simple thing here. you got to put your best players on the field, especially at a position where you don't really have a ton of talent yeah. at the cornerback position. It was So, again, Seattle, a 35.8 coverage grade. But I, I, what I'll say about that, he got roasted by DK Metcalf a handful of times. He made still, still had three pass breakups. Yeah. Then he has a 95.6 coverage grade against the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, yeah, One Arizona. interception, two pass breakups. They go on to take on the Saints in Week 11. Tampa Bay sits him on the bench. Uh, they wanted to play more zone, and uh, he played zone on the, on the sideline. Uh, that was very Held it down. Dude, <laughs> Held it down, crushed it. Dude, but it's no, like zero it, targets, it, zero pass. They pass. really have not had any cornerback have a one good game all year, and the second they do, he gets benched. Very interesting. But So he'll play, hopefully, yeah, against hopefully the Falcons. Yeah, hopefully he'll play against the Falcons. you see some opportunity there. I mean, if they had him track DK Metcalf, probably going to have him track. Julio Jones. Right. right? I mean, not Unless to... they're playing zone. You never know. I mean, yeah. you'd think they were going to have him track Michael Thomas. Instead, they just he just toasted him True. in, in mm-hmm. route to a W. So that it's uh, head-scratching decision-making over there. It's hard to kind of really understand what, what, what they're going to do. But if Jim L. Dean does play against the Atlanta Falcons, I think he's well worth a watch in man or zone coverage. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a rookie-on-rookie matchup. Yes. A little two-for-one here. Ed Oliver of the Buffalo Bills, the defensive interior, former first-round pick of Houston, going against rookie guard Dalton Reisner of the Denver Broncos, an older prospect, an older rookie, but who's played very well for Denver so far this year. I think this is a great opportunity for these two guys to kind of show off their skill set. Yeah, and so we highlighted Oliver last week, said he was going up against a favorable matchup in that Miami offensive line. He did all right. Four pressures, uh, 76.0 overall grade on defense. That's what, you know, you got to to beat the bad guys first. That's mm-hmm. that's doing pretty well in that one. So he did well, but this is a little different animal. Dalton Reisner's playing a lot, lot better than those interior guys for Miami. He has a 74.3 pass blocking grade for the season. One of the better uh, pass blocking grades at the guard position. Hasn't allowed a sack. Only 11 pressures all season long. Holding his own basically as advertised. We thought he was NFL ready coming out of K-State. Has been NFL ready. So this one, I say advantage Reisner, but we'll see. Left guard for uh, the Denver Broncos. I'll say this too. George and Eric are two data scientists here at PFF. We're really high on Reisner. Yes. Really did like how he graded on a play-by-play standpoint. I, I think that's going to be Throckmorton this year. A guy we kind of barely touched on the interior offensive line rings, but he's been of high pass protecting grade for three years now for Oregon. I think they're similar prospects in terms of they might not look, they might not physically or the uh, eye test, it might not look uh, appealing, it might not be the most uh, visually appealing. That's the word I'm looking for. They might be the most visually appealing players, but to get the job done consistently, I think that's Throckmorton. I think that was Reisner coming out, and that's why he fell to the second round. Going to this next matchup here, definitely a rookie to watch. Greg Speed Bump Little going against Marcus Davenport, which would be interesting because Greg Little this past week, why he got the nickname Speed Bump in there, Adrian Claiborne put yeah. the dude on skates and then some some of the worst. 14 pressures. Some of the you know 14 total pressures. We talked about it on Tuesday, on the Tuesday podcast, but when you review that film too how bad he lost the pass sets were bad the footwork was yeah. bad everything was it was ugly it was raw it was ugly and adrian claiborne was just feasting on him and now you're going to get to marcus davenport who i think is a similar player that's why how he attacks uh greg little that's why i want to watch this because davenport uh little just had no anchor like it was and he was setting deep and like setting right in his quarterback's lap so davenport he wants to bull rush you every time and he will if you're going to let him uh, just hopefully Greg Little doesn't let him because this could be double digits again. Dude, and if it's not especially against Davenport, Seattle, it's Cameron Jordan. It's, it's, it's huge. Especially against New Orleans where they're not going to be like they're probably going to be playing down again. You know, the Panthers are probably going to not have a lead. Probably going to have to be throwing 50 times again. 
that could get ugly. Again. Dude, absolutely. I mean, dude, so. this is going to be a huge problem because, I, like I said, it's either Marcus Davenport, which I'll probably, he'll probably see the most of. Mm-hmm. But if the Saints try and get nasty and throw Cameron Jordan his way, things are go- not going to look good. And you already had Darrell Williams getting called fat by Tack McKinley. The, uh, the offensive line is in shambles right now. Morale is low. And Greg yeah. Little's going into the room, and people are really asking him, we're, we're thinking about moving you to center. Like, I mean, there's just it's, it's a bad look right now for Carolina. And, and Kyle Allen... I'll say this. He came out of the gate strong. QB wins team were great, but he is grading very poorly right now. Yes. He's one of the lowest graded quarterbacks. From, no, he is the lowest graded quarterback um, from a clean pocket this year. He's also struggling significantly. Yeah. Um, I on, never on, bought on throws of 10 plus yards. Yeah, I was. You never. So I always am hesitant to crown a quarterback until they actually have to go win a game, until they actually have to throw 50 times and it's on their back to win a game. You can, a lot of guys can succeed when you're protected, when you've run the, when you're running the ball well, uh, and when you can check down to backs and they give it to you. But when you have to go win it yourself, which is what he's, you know, tried to have to do against the Packers, uh, last week, uh, as well against the Falcons, when you have to go do that, that's when I, that's when I actually will buy in. If you can go out and do that, Kyle Allen has not. Has unfortunately, face that's unfortunately, the that's the story of Gardner Minshew's benching because yeah. he had to go out there and beat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the Texans in the fourth quarter. He throws you know two two picks and, and fumble. And it, mm-hmm. it was an absolute falling apart. Uh, but Gardner Minshew, you know, I love the kid. I think I think he could rally back. But again, it's a good. I think it's a good point you make. You have to judge a quarterback on how he can take over and win games late. And mm-hmm. Kyle Allen struggling to do that. You saw all four of those interceptions he had this past week were awful, poor decisions. <laughs> Inaccurate. Yeah. It wasn't like a batted pass or the O.J. Howard uh, behind the back flip up that Jameis Winston fell victim to. They, they, these were bad passes, bad decisions, inaccurate throws. Uh, poor Kyle Allen. Poor Kyle Allen and poor speed bump Greg Little. Um, that's going to do it for the Two for One Drafts podcast. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Mike, and uh, thank you thank to you. all of our listeners thank and you. our live watchers on YouTube. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. But until Tuesday, make sure you're uh, liking us on all those things. So this has been Austin Gale, Mike Renner on Two for One Drafts. 